0: Welcome to the Hypergwap podcast, episode five. Last call for Hypergwap Atlantis. Aiden, what's up? How we doing, dude? Episode five. Let's go. I'm hyped. Let's get the energy going. Let's get the energy going. I mean, we had dope. Our first two episodes have almost hit a thousand plays. Epic. And then we kind of had a trough, and then the last one went up. So I'm like, I feel like there was like a shock moment of like people are like, okay, like we followed Gally and Aiden from Twitter, Hyperchange. Now we're on this weird new podcast. Half the people like. Watch the first couple and then unsubscribe. like, what is this? This is boring. It's not hyper change. It's not what I thought. But we're creating a new show. So we need a new niche. So I've been telling Aiden to not get lost in the sauce at our negative comments. Look at our positive comments because our negative feedback has been like, it's not what I expect. It's not like hyper change, but it's not supposed to be what you expect. It's not supposed to be like hyper change. So Anyway, it's been cool to like figure out, and I also wanted to put out the the free, the idea out there of like if y'all are listening, and there's parts of the show that you think are dope, or there's things that you want us to talk about, or like you should do this section, or if you're a startup that wants to come pitch us live, that's another thing. But um, that's kind of what I was thinking, like, why don't we crowdsource like what the people are liking from the show?
1: Totally, yeah. It's been nice to hear people's feedback so far, and we we some feedback that we got from someone that's been following was that they kind of wanted a bit more direction and agenda for it. Right. That was like one piece of feedback that we got. And I think that this is supposed to be an open conversation. Like the reason why we started this pod is because we were having a conversation on Monday, figuring out everything that we like for the week, things happening in the startup world. We we're like, why don't we just start recording this and documenting us building the fund? So we're, we're not trying to make it like uh, it's about this particular topic. That's why you listen to the episode. It's like, we're, we're meeting it's like the beginning of the week. We're talking about what's going on with the fund and it's more kind of conversational but we'll see how things maybe that's it's going to change over time you know so yeah i like that vibe for podcasts it's just more free-flowing
0: and this and believe it whether people believe it or not this is where we do get a lot of work done like we do actually like do a lot of scheming about how we run the fund for our like well not i guess we're recording this on tuesday but usually our like monday meeting of like monday making all the power moves doing all the stuff so like we actually do make decisions on this which i think is cool Um, Okay, so let's just, let's just jump into our first decision, um, which I don't want to spend too much time on because I think it's boring. It's, are we closing the fund? Are we not? This is something we're learning about. You open a venture fund, take in all the money, and then you decide the close, which is basically to stop fundraising money. But it's like insanely difficult market environment. We're up to six and a half million right now. That's like wired that we can start investing, but we kind of were doing like five to up to 10. So now do we leave it open to go up to 10? or is that backfiring on the people who left put in early? Not really, but I feel like I've been personally pushing of like, let's close it and move on. But everyone I'm talking to is like, why not leave it open if you have room in? you wanna do 10 and you're at six and a half because the markets are crazy, leave it open, let people come in. So, and I'm like, eh, I just wanna close it and move on to deploying. So that's why I've been pitching Aiden, like basically end of June, like, that's it like if you didn't tell us you're in by the end of june and wire the money you're out of the fund and that's how it'll work although technically we will probably leave it open because we're talking to people who have like 500 a mil two million dollar checks who are super strategic who like i don't know it would just be dope to get in but or if like some celebrity like casey neistat he follows me on twitter i don't know if he's listening but like we'll let him in July if he wants to come in with a small check, no minimum. No.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like joking, but not really. So what's your taking? Well, I think we've been going back and forth about this for a while. Is like, do we close now? First off, we're super grateful for our early LPs that committed and believed in us from the beginning. And mm-hmm. we don't want to kind of, kind of start to make some investments, keep the fund open, and then later LPs kind of get all this benefit from waiting for the sidelines. We don't think that's fair to our early backers. And for us, like our early backers that believed in us, like we take that super seriously and that means a lot to us. Um, and so that that's really... Um, something that we're, we're focused on is not just allowing people that back us later and get start to see the results that we're putting out there, then get the same benefits as them. Cause we don't, we don't think that's fair on the flip side, uh, raising funds is kind of a long process. I mean, we did it in like raised six and a half million in two months. But the feedback that we were getting from some of our mentors the people that we were talking to was like, this can take six months to a year to raise traditional, uh, venture funds. Um, and we really kind of accelerated that process. So, and, and then also it's pretty traditional to start to deploy capital while also leaving the fund open and continuing to raise until you kind of get to your number. And right now we're right in the middle of what we intended to raise, which was like Gally said, that five to 10 amount. So, I don't know we're i think what we're working towards like galley said is let's close it in june at that point every hyper guapper has been given a chance to invest and knows what we're doing and that's how we kind of make it open to everyone that's been following us and knows what's going on and then after that it's just kind of some strategic ongoing conversations that we're having with family offices high net worth individuals strategic investors that make sense to get in and wait for um and we'll leave it open maybe for a bit longer after that but i mean i don't see us keeping it open like for the rest of the year like maybe it would just be like a few more weeks or maybe a few more months as we keep having these conversations you know yeah and it's still something
0: we're thinking through like i wouldn't be surprised if we do actually close it at the end of june because we're just like screw it we don't want to wait for that extra five it's just like anyway and i like the idea of what you're saying like let's give the hyper whoppers the shot i want to give everybody who- and like The smaller the fund, the better the returns are going to be. In some ways, like, well, I guess we think we can crush it up to ten mil. That's why we're trying to hit the ten mil. But it's also like, yeah. So, it's it's been an interesting learning process, I'll say, because I didn't think there was so many. And it's like, oh, like, so you're telling me everybody, and we called all our capital up front, which is very. I think we've talked about that on the podcast. That's very unusual, and makes it probably twice as, like, we probably could have easily hit the 10 mil if we were calling half of it or 25%, like, normally. But we did decide to call it all up front. It's been a learning process, but I also, like, I don't know, I don't think I would change what we did in any way. All said and done, the fact that we hit our number to, like, be able to hit the green light and go with the fun is insane. Like, even if we don't get another dollar in and we close it and nobody else comes in and we have six and a half, like... That's enough to run the fund and crush it, which is like got me stoked. You know, we've hit that like critical mass
1: threshold. Yeah, we we can prove out the model with what what we have, and I I think it puts us in a unique position to have all the capital up front because a lot of. Funds right now are like, they have to call capital. They don't want to call capital to their LPs. So they're slowing their pace of deployment. They have to think through, oh, we only have 25% of the fund right now. So now our strategy changes because we can't do a capital call. So now they're having to like do things differently where I think we're in a really unique position where our fund strategy doesn't really change. We have all the capital, like we're like markets are crumbling valuations are coming back down to earth and we're well capitalized to, to, to like push forward the hypergrowth mission yeah. of what we're intending to do.
0: And I love it. It's like every day the market crashes, we like are in a better position. You know what I mean? Cause like we're having this war chest, we're ready to deploy. We have all the war chest in our, you know, and we're meeting with these amazing founders and it's like the shittier, the market conditions. The better because the more the pendulum swings to VCs, and we already have all all our liquidity locked up. So it doesn't impact our liquidity. So I'm hyped. And a lot of first time venture investors like myself, like, I don't want to wire half the money and then have to have half the money in my account that I can't spend in the middle of a recession. Like, it's just like psychologically, I didn't get, like, I'm like, okay, I guess that's the norm, but just not how I like to do business. Like if I say I'm going to invest a hundred grand in your thing, I want to just give you a hundred grand and that's my investment in your thing and move on. Not invest 25 grand, promise you 75 grand despite, you know,
1: I don't know. I feel like that's a big promise. But I guess
0: that's how it works. Like people,
1: (laughs) yeah, that is how it works, I guess. And, but one thing I'm interested too, is like, after talking to a number of the hyperglob LPs, like some people are kind of like, well, I don't, I think it makes sense to close it like in June, like what we're intending to do. Right. But I'm curious if there's like any bucket of people that are like, well, if you guys could wait another month and talk to maybe a few more people like you're doing and get a few more million dollars in, like that would also be exciting. You know, like, I'm like, so I'm curious. If everyone feels like no, just close it down, like prove out the model with what you have, or if they feel like they understand us continuing to go and raise, yeah. Um, well, I think I'm. Um, yeah, I
0: would really value the feedback. I'm kind of thinking about it as an LP, and what I want as an LP is everyone's got the shot. I, I want to make this for the people who believed in us. So we're closing at the end of June, but strategically, if there's a super strategic check, and when we say strategic, we're talking about people who not only are just like writing us a million bucks, which means our operational like budget, which we already have to cover expenses goes up 15%. And all that incremental 15% goes into like, I don't know, like all like all video production and all this really cool stuff with a huge ROI that helps our portfolio companies, that helps us grow faster. like. I want us to do that. And I think it's a better fun overall if it's at, like, 8 mil when we're done. But at the same time, it's, like, those are the only people, I think, that are fair to be let in. And I, personally, as an LP, would feel unfair if it's, like, oh, well, if you wait till July, I'll put in money. It's, like, nah. Like, end of June, that's it. Unless you're Casey
1: Neistat. Totally. And I, and I think it keeps things consistent and fair to the, all the HyperGWAT members, you know? It's, like, yeah, we yeah. initially said we are going to close, like— early June, you know, now we're pushing at the end of June, but like we can't just keep making exceptions for people and we have yeah. to put like a stake in and we the have ground. to do a hard, a hard deadline. And we've kind of been pushing it back, but to be fair,
0: even pushing it back, having a two month funding timeline is the market literally implodes and having never raised a venture fund and calling all the capital up front is an insane, like <laughs> quadruple black diamond move that we just executed. So I'm hyped. Okay. But I also think this is boring and this is going to be one of our last discussions of like fun dynamics but i think it's dope that in these early episodes we're covering it because like we're literally like thinking through the shit for the first time i think if you were a first time vc this would be like a gold mine of like how to think through it because we literally just got off an hour something call of with this other vc dude about just talking all this through because we're trying to learn and so but now i'm more hyped and like to get into the fun stuff so should we do some fun yeah let's do some fun stuff
1: there's just two more things that I would say that just not yeah. exactly about the f- the fund closing timeline specifically but just J- just foreshadowing some updates. Okay. One is that we're going to have the Palette CEO on in the next, like, week or two. And that's going to be a huge level up for the Hyperquat platform because we're going to have, like, the sick job board of all of our portfolio companies. Like, startups are going to be able to, like, get access to our talent. You all are going to be able to find startups to work at. Um, so we'll be able to talk more about that, like, in the future. But I just wanted to, like, plant a seed so everyone knows that that's something that's going to be coming. And we're super excited to launch Palette, Kelly, um, I'm not yeah. sure if you've any thoughts yeah no that's
0: dope and that can be my i mean that's one of my startups of the week i guess it counts because like palette the backstory of palette's funny did i say that on the last week's podcast i don't think so we did not talk about so. that much yeah no. but um I, I gave aiden the backstory which is funny because like i met palette through some sort of vc connection actually sahil bloom i think he's like really big on twitter he was big on palette and has his own job board and, intru- and we had a call and he introduced me to them and i was like okay this is super dope had a call it's like all these like 23 year olds around a table, like hacking. Like, I just got such good vibes. I was like, I'm investing five grand. And then they're like, Well, we're actually like, we just raised it. Like, I don't know. I was like, But we're about to do like a safe note at one. And I'm like, or, Actually, shit, I probably shouldn't be saying all this. But anyway, pretend I didn't say those numbers. But basically, I finessed to like let have them let me in at the earlier, like the round they were about to close. It was kind of already done. Cause I was like, Super small check. I was like, I'm an influencer. I'll be your homie. Like, I'll make all this content and i sort of it was a big learning lesson for me because i was like that was the first time i sort of dropped the ball not really dropped the ball but like i tried to use it and i tried to set it up and i just like it was too much time for me and like i wasn't good at it and i was like okay like another thing i need to do and log into and like like i'm just that's not gonna add that to my flow so i wasn't but now i've seen palette blow up but i couldn't like figure out how to launch it myself but i thought they had such a like the team was amazing and this incredible idea of like Communities like the reason why I took the call and was so stoked on Palette in the first place. So it's like I've literally had like four insane job offers come to the table. And we people get hired, Arkamoto, Adams, all these companies people get hired at because they saw it on HyperChange. Like that just happens all the time. Like, we I don't even know how many people are stoked to work at Tesla, you know? So it's already this natural thing of like, and now with HyperBop, it was like, holy shit, like. I feel like I, I didn't help Palette as much as I say. And when I don't say it, it's like, I wired the money right away. I'm an investor. It was all dope. Like I did that. I just didn't feel like I came through on me being like a real value add for them yet. Because I just, so I'm like, I was like, damn, I'm feeling guilty. I got to learn. I can't over promise. I got to like really come through on these commitments. Think before you talk, all that stuff. Um, but now we've gotten to the point where like, A, you can help me with Palette. And we've matured to like this portfolio of hyperwap companies, the hiring network effect has just accelerated like crazy. And we have all these jobs at what are, you know, our 10 portfolio companies and about to be booming into 20 to 30 to 40. And we have all these people watching the show who want to work. It's like, I was like, oh my God, like this is just going to help our companies. It's going to help our viewers who want to get dope jobs. Um, It's a cool way to integrate palette. And so I'm super stoked about it. And then we're having the the CEO come on himself,
1: right? So- yeah. Kai? So we'll, yeah. Kai. So we'll be able to, we'll launch it. We'll tell like more about the product. Cause there's like kind of two portals, one for talent to just submit their resumes to which companies can get access to. And then another is for us to post our jobs of like our portfolio companies or companies who just want to post jobs on the, the hyper guap, like job page essentially. So yeah, it's going to be super interesting. We can dive more into it with Kai when he hops on the channel. Um, but I just think this is going to like a key part of the, like, the hyperchange philosophy and brand is like getting people jobs at these really cool companies, supporting the startups. So this is going to be like a really big unlock for us. Yeah. And in many ways, it's like I almost look at it as the
0: SPB. It's like this is already happening. We're already seeing it go down. Let's just like formalize the pipes to connect the applicants with the companies and reduce Total. the friction and
1: Palette will do that. So I'm hyped Exa- on that. Yeah. Just adding software to what's really happening. Exactly. And then the, the last thing that I'll add just kind of like organizational things is that we do have the Hyperguap Slack channel that's been popping off lately. We're almost at 70 people in there, just people talking about startups, what's going on in the market. It's a super good time. So if you're wanting to connect about startups, thinking through strategy about like your portfolio in general and how to like allocate from the public to private markets or crypto, the private markets, whatever it is, people should hop in. Cause it's, there's good conversation going on. So yeah, I've been enjoying like, connecting with people that way.
0: And I almost feel like I used to hit TechCrunch every morning. This is maybe, like, eight years ago. You know, it was, like, TechCrunch. Like, what startup? What news? But now I feel like, I don't know, it's kind of washed out. But, like, when I went into the HyperGwap Slack, I got that. It was, like, all these really cool articles about, like, really interesting startups that I wanted. That I was, like, ooh, this is cool. You know, just the hyper change universe, almost, of, like, but startup-bified. Totally. Um, but, yeah, people should definitely join. I think that's awesome.
1: So... So that those are the two updates but i want to hear about what sweatshirt you're wearing dude so like like you were getting me hyped about this before you hopped on the call <laughs> like what like what's good at that
0: yeah okay nice tf uh so this is um crypto's crumbling so i think this is even funnier because now because this sweatshirt is launched by i think something called index coop co-op which is like a dow to launch all of these essentially etf like complex financial instruments but on the ethereum blockchain they're blowing up they had hundreds of millions under management Really, wow. really cool. I haven't checked it now. It's probably, like, like all of ETH and DeFi way down. But they had this. It was their first merch drop. And they teamed up with this other startup that puts chips in the clothing. This is a chip that you can scan with your phone. So this actually has an NFT. So the way it works – so this is why I thought it was funny. for. An, and I just got this. It's, like, some shit I paid for six months ago that I finally came in the mail, right? Like, classic. But uh, it's a really nice hoodie. It's really good quality. But it uh, – And I thought, okay, NFTs are crumbling. It's a joke. The monkey's a JPEG. Everyone thinks this is bullshit. But then it's like, wait, like, this is why I liked NFTs. Like, this to me, as a streetwear collector sneakerhead, like, this is like a real-world use case. Like, I don't give a shit what the price is. You scan this, you know that I have one of these 350 hoodies. It's verified on the blockchain. And anybody can run up to me and scan it. And then they have the NFT that proves they have the hoodie. But then you're like, wait, so what if somebody scanned your hoodie and then ran away? Well, then I can rescan it. So whoever has the hoodie has the ability to scan this embedded NFT, which is in a chip that's wearable. So I actually had a call with this company. I don't know if they're watching. And they kind of dropped the ball because I want to do this and drop hyper... I bought this because this is a prototype for a hyperchange sweatshirt, which is going to be on the blockchain and have this chip technology, but it's moving too slow. But So I think this is really cool, not because it reps this random DeFi token, Um, but it's because it's the first, when I met Mike Demerai of Rainbow, this was like our vision. Like why is Supreme and Yeezys not on the blockchain? Like, how do you know those Yeezys are Yeezys? How many times have I bought sneakers that are fake? Like, I know that seems so minor, but to me, uh, when I think of Ethereum and Rainbow and the power of decentralized finance and cryptography to the masses, it's a trustless system to ensure verification of real world goods. So I think that is incredible applications and is this meshing of the digital and physical world and authentic ownership and empowering me to use this cutting edge cryptography by myself with the rainbow app and the sweatshirt to verify it like this is the kind of cool nft stuff that gets me excited so this is kind of like my startup of the week is my hoodie
1: And there so i'll and... so i got a few questions for you but yeah one is like so how do you see this being like actually like into something that's useful besides just verifying yeezys or like this limited edition sweatshirt because and, and i'll give you one example that it made me think of and then maybe you can like riff off it is there's this so a huge issue in the biopharmaceutical industry is drugs that are like not the right drugs going into cans that people are, are like pill bottles that people are using that like aren't accurate and so i was talking to this founder like a few months ago that it was working on trying to use the blockchain better verify like medicines it's actually a huge issue in the supply chain because it goes through all these different people to go from the ultimate drug manufacturer to the end user and all these people verified along the way and they keep having to check it like like they, he said like each pill ends up being verified like 150 times because there's no way to like like by all these different people along the supply chain so he's like wow. that's why we're trying to use blockchain to verify if this pill is this pill that we're putting in this bottle for this person so i don't know like that gets me excited about like a real application of blockchain where it's something that's like really useful you know so i'm but i'm curious like do you like what do you like what do you think about that so dope no that's
0: a great comment so for i think this is useful not because it's like some fashion exclusive fashion thing but it's like to me it's like empowering artists so it incentive like it's just a way to like and then every time you scan the NFT and steal it you got to pay a royalty so it's this idea that like the community and the art lives on, and the artist gets a piece of that upside with that technology, whether it's sneakers or sweatshirts or paintings or photography. Like, wait, how do you get the like the royalty? Well, like, actually, you're right. Like, is, it, is I don't I... know if this sweatshirt has a royalty embedded, but you have to pay a gas cost to move this NFT, and I wonder if it, you could embed in that gas cost a royalty to the artist. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the tech that it enables that excites me. Like the HyperChange sneakers, like those are 140 pairs with all the dope limitation stuff, but it's not on the blockchain. So if they get resold for a thousand, I get nothing. But if yeah. they got resold with an NFT that came with it that I had embedded in that contract to give me a cut, like it's just a way to incentivize upside in the secondary market for artists. So so, so this this is
1: what like would be interesting is like if there's a way that you as a user could sell the HyperChange shoe – and when you would go to like the sell mode activity, you could get a QR code that would allow you to like ship it with like a provider. And so you can verify that it was shipped on like somehow on the blockchain and that the item was actually transferred Whoa. to someone new. And then with that transfer to the digital version of that also gets transferred. And you, you know what I mean? Like, how- yeah, but that's why
0: this is so dope because it's in the hoodie. So the NFT with the sneaker would be in the shoe. So if yeah. I ship you the shoe. And then, okay, now you have the physical shoe, but Gally still has the digital NFT of the shoe in his wallet. But that's what this is dope for is then you, but you have the physical shoe. So now you can scan the NFT on the physical shoe and claim it and basically steal it from me. And you have to pay gas costs to do that. But embedded in that steel, we could say you have to give a royalty to the original wallet, which oh. is the creator. So I get my
1: theory. So I get what you're saying now. So it's like once I own the product and I could claim it right then and there. Like if I was like really like like you were like left your sweatshirt on the couch, I could scan your sweatshirt and be like, Gally, I own your sweatshirt now.
0: Yeah, and then you'd go home and I would rescan it and steal the NFT back. (laughs) And be like screw you aiden and you would have (laughs) wasted we would have both wasted gas so this is this is a trial for how this i don't know if this little chip in the thing is how it'll all work but that's so cool but anyway you've you brought out something like really cool with the pills and medicine because that's another thing where you want trust so anytime we want to decentralize trust this is an application so it's like that's why it's kind of like hard to wrap your head around all this like food I almost think would be dope for this like in a box of apples can i verify like how it was ground like i should be able to scan that qr code and get like every stat on these apples like
1: how much they were stored where they were all that so there's so many applications of so, that dude it's so funny that you say that there's this uh synthetic biology company that is doing that and they're doing it within the dna of the food is like a, a qr code that's like scannable so it's not even like computer it's like biologically a QR code essentially wow. right in all of our foods. So you can learn where it came from, how long it's been on the thing. Um, so that's a super interesting application. I like that you broke it down into the, the application for like crypto cryptocurrency or verification is like applications for trust. But I'm, I'm One thing – okay, this is a question I've been thinking about, Gally, and I'm curious what you think. Is, okay, with crypto markets crumbling, all these like shit coins going to shit, all this speculation going on in the market, and us being investors in rainbow, how do you see like new things like emerging from this? And why – like is this an opportunity for like real stuff to go on your rainbow wallet, like whether it's a sweatshirt or your pills or like real verification? I guess like what I'm trying to say is maybe the first wave of what we were looking at on MetaMask or our our rainbow wallets, like people were all speculative coins, but maybe there's this whole new era that's going to be ushered in over like the next few years that we can't even imagine right now. Right? Well, yeah. And
0: I think people were getting into parties at NFT NYC and stuff with their rainbow wallet NFTs, that was something. My VCon ticket that I held in my thing, which was access to one of the dopest events that I sold through my, you know, that was all on Rainbow. So those are real, th- and then like the NFT, my verification of my hoodie. So Rainbow is just a platform for the innovation on Ethereum. And until like this trust use case gets more like real world use cases, like to me, Rainbow is just building the pipes for when slash if that happens to crush it. But if people don't innovate on the Ethereum blockchain and the Ethereum blockchain doesn't take off, then the UI for that blockchain is useless. So rainbow is really a bet on more things happening within the ethereum blockchain but um and i think it's just really cyclical in waves like rainbow when i invested in it was at the f- it was right in the middle of the first eth run-up and then eth crumbled and they were building and they crushed it and then then it goes way up and then everyone gets really excited and now we have this new crypto winter but it'll go up again so that's what i think is happening and i think the comp this is like what they say, it's like the the forest fire happens, the, uh, recessions that all the like shitty tiny trees who weren't stable, like burn down the tall, strong ones stay and get even bigger and now can grow even bigger because they don't have the competition. For... So like, I think all the other Ethereum wallets, A, were underfunded, don't have as good talent, didn't have as good market traction, weren't the leader. So... They're all gonna be trying to raise money with horrible metrics at shitty valuations without good talent. I think a lot of them are gonna fail. Rainbow's gonna get stronger because a lot of their competition is gonna get out of business. All their competition to pay for insane engineering talent just got way easier. They already have a ton of money in the bank. So I think Rainbow is in a super strategic position to like, and obviously I'm biased just because I've seen, I'm homies with Mike and I've seen them navigate these like, you know, situations. But I think Rainbow is gonna like, Crush it. But at the same time, I see what you're saying. Like, I think this was a dot com moment of NFTs. We had way too much excitement, way too much hype. There was the pets dot com that was CryptoPunks or Bored Ape Club or whatever. And, like, I know that's a hot take, but they. I- you know that's a, that's a great take because i feel but, like that's that's but accurate. the tech was there and nfts will change the world and the trustless permissionness of the of the blockchain was something we should have all gotten excited about and i always say bubbles are prerequisites for disruptive technology and hyper change a bubble is just the capital markets be getting woken up to how disruptive this is and getting too hyped we've all gotten seen something dope and gotten too hyped in life that's the same psychology of financial markets and so I just think now it's like we're gonna have a washout
1: and it'll be great for it in the long run um yeah i, I think the, the way i've heard it before too is like disruptive to the deceptive and then it becomes like like democratized and like it's everywhere so i i feel like right now th- Everything went through this kind of disruptive, deceptive phase, and hopefully we'll, we'll see like all these real world applications start to emerge over the coming years where people are like, oh, blockchain could be really interesting for energy or your pills. And you need a cool wallet to be able to engage with all of it and do the QR codes and verify all your medicines and people start to build real things on the blockchain. So, yeah, no, that's super interesting. But I think that the sweatshirt is proving how early models, early adopters, right? It's like getting the geeks in the room that, to try things and, like, experiment with the technology. And I think it, that's always what's pushed, the, like, new new technologies forward.
0: Yeah. And I know it sounds lame that it's fashion and stuff, but it's like, to me, it's like, okay, like, Supreme, Yeezy, Gucci, like, y'all are all, all a joke to me because you don't release how many pairs of your thing came out, because you don't want to know it's way more than we all thought and it's not that exclusive. And you're not even giving people the technology to authenticate it via the blockchain. So you're actually starting to like fail due to technology and it's seeping into your luxury mode. So that's exactly what's happening in the automotive industry. My Tesla's 75 grand, but I don't give a fuck about your half a mil Ferrari, because it can't drive itself. And to me, the ultimate luxury is I don't whip, I get chauffeured. So all of a sudden, fashion gets disrupted by technology and i think that's what's going to happen with this is okay like you pay 10 g's for that gucci bag i can't even track if it's legit that's a joke like you know what i mean i'd rather pay for this and i i don't know that's a little bit loose analogy but so i think this is bigger this is to me this is 100b of market cap for ETH if they just do that you know so and it's like first principles of ETH, like shit's happening this is on the blockchain it's in a dope hoodie i can scan it i can use it on my rainbow somebody can trade it like this works it's not just fufu anymore so that that gets me excited
1: totally yeah no that's a super exciting application thanks for sharing dude yeah okay i, went, I ranted though so we can move on i know you got a startup too right yeah. yeah so mine's completely different than fashion and blockchain it's all about cybersecurity. so this company basically is trying to secure our industrial systems for like in the cyber warfare like world that we're living in. And I'm not sure if you've seen the news recently, but like tons of like meat plants are like being burned down. Energy plants are being destroyed. Uh, there's like manufacturing facilities are losing like tons of product and everyone's like, oh, this is just like normal course of business. But it's like, we don't have the tools really to understand, like really what's going on when these things happen. Like we don't have like the full surveillance or access to information to know more. And so there's kind of like this gray area. So basically, This company is building, like making our industrial, new industrial systems, more secure for like our most advanced companies, and there's not enough cybersecurity professionals in the, like the world to be able to handle all of our advanced industrial systems and secure them. So they're creating software to be able to do that. And and the last thing I'll say about the problem is that everything is super fragmented right now. So things are secure, maybe on like a device or they're secure on like the thing that's being manufactured itself, but there's not this like, interconnected cybersecurity across like the thing that's being manufactured to the fleet, to kind of the, all the different devices. So yeah, that's what they're doing. And, uh, the founder of the company worked at the white house, uh, for four years leading cybersecurity efforts. So he's got the background to be able to do it.
0: Wow. I mean, I love this. Uh, this sounds like a big problem and I feel like it's so like one of the things where i'm like i feel like we're vulnerable or a lot of societies vulnerable is like these old systems without the good defenses um and then you have all these foreign actors trying to hack them or whatever so um so what's the story of the actual company is it like a tiny little startup or yes yeah, so how, how are they like attacking the problem
1: this guy josh was running cybersecurity for the u.s government and saw was dealing with all these issues like one off and realizing that like our systems are not secure. Like it's a, like a joke essentially. Um, and he started to figure out like a business to try to start addressing it. And so he was basically just interviewing customers for eight months, like getting data, learning about their problems, trying to figure it out. And then he kind of eventually settled on this business of like creating this, like one-stop shop, uh, software to like connect all the devices and create like a centralized, um, security system to understand what's going on so that they can like predict things in the future. Um, they raised $3 million pre-seed and they're going into like a seed round right now. Um, and yeah, so they're, they've started to recruit some cybersecurity, uh, engineers, some like Amazon, some other people, cause all these companies need to have like the most advanced software to like secure their systems. And, um, so people are realizing at these companies like Merck, you know, that wait we need way better security over our formulas our manufacturing process otherwise people are just going to hack this and so they're kind of coming together around this new company galvanic to to build that
0: wow this is very cool one and one thing always comes to mind when thinking about cybersecurity and stuff like this is like how do you and i'm curious what your take would be how would you evaluate whether their product and software is good right because it's like okay we love the team we love the concept we think mm-hmm. this is like the future but like how do we know, like, it's not, it's actually good software. How do we know the yeah. quality's there without being engineers ourselves? Or So we got,
1: to, so we got to talk to customers, you know, right now they're piloting with a few customers to try it. They only have, I think maybe like one or two customers and they're, they're testing out themselves to see if it works. People know it's a problem. The question is like, can their software solve their problem? Right. Um, and, and, and does this work? Is it easy to implement? And so understanding that from the customers, like they're working with a lot of aerospace companies initially, because there's a lot of national security risks around those and they really need to be secure. Um, so yeah, I I I would talk to their customers and try to get a sense of the feedback and kind of understanding if this is really helping, you know, and what's the last thing I'll say too, about their company is the business model. Super interesting that they're planning to take like a few basis points per product that they're supporting, um, to like ensure it's secure. Um, so it's a super interesting, like, uh, kind of business model that could scale with what they're doing. Ooh. And as much as like software and SaaS is kind
0: of like out of vogue now and everyone's like, Ooh, I want to fund hardware, you know? Um, I think there was a reason why software got the cloud it did because like, like a company like Rainbow, to me, it's like, we even talk about it a lot but the reason why i think it's such a like sexy investment is because of the business model it's like bro we can have 20 hackers in brooklyn pump out something that hundreds of millions pe- of people can use and like is moving billions and billions of dollars like and you have no cost like this is just gonna like print insane amounts of capital if it works like the the just economics of this business are savage so when i think about and that's just software. So when I see some companies like Zoom that are just prof insanely profitable, like that is if you're a private equity owner and you have like 100 bill to spend, buy Zoom. Like that is just pumping out so much cash flow. It's an incredible asset, uh, super low cost. So I think we've had an overcorrection. Like I don't wanna index, oh, I'm hardware or software, but like I think a lot of hyperchange companies are software based. And I actually am getting stoked at the fact that we've seen this radical over I think, still in the midst of this compression for all these software companies. And it's trendy to say on Twitter, you're a hardware co- company. Although we are too. Like that's like a Tesla, hardware F, SpaceX. You know, those are my two biggest investments, super hardware, but combined with software. So, um, but yeah. So you saying that has got me hyped because now, before I would have been like, screw that, bro. Like they're going to be like a gazillion times price sales. Like A, we can't figure out if it's dope and the price sales, the the valuation, like like we're, we're sacrificing our ab- ab- ability to like, like, if, if there's way more upside, we can sort of sacrifice our conviction in the technology. Like, maybe that sounds bad, but, like, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, if you're doing a million in revenue and you're at a 10 mil valuation, like, okay, that makes sense. Like, we're not assuming this massive growth. Like, I don't have to, like, justify that. But if it's a 100 mil valuation, like, the upside's not there. There's just way more risk to, like, you're not at 10 mil in revenue yet. So, um,
1: I don't know. And so, and then I also have the concern, too, like, okay, do – like you're assuming that we need cybersecurity for defense and that this is going to be like an ongoing issue. And that assumes that there's going to be foreign attackers that are going to want to hack whatever that we're doing. And I'm like, is that always going to be the case? You know, like, is that the? and then I'm kind of like – Maybe like it's just inevitable if you can secure your technology, you're going to want to because there's always going to be bad actor- actors that are going to want to try to hack what you're doing. So everyone needs to be secure, especially if you're working in like a national security industry where it's like food or energy or aerospace or pharmaceuticals. Like, these are like key businesses that support the our economy.
0: So when we when we solve scarcity, though. And we we level up to where the aliens are at in terms of a species and we have no more war. Is that because we have mutually assured destruction and there's all these insanely complex software systems secretly fighting wars so we don't have to? Or is it because we've all given up on this? And the reason i I think this is an out there concept in question is because we're looking at other companies in this similar space and it's like like, okay, safety, like you're a safety company, so you're making us safer, but you're doing it by building like evil stuff and playing defense. And I don't know, and I'm like torn up morally between like, are we just incentivizing more war by sort of funding this complex or, and is that just a world I don't wanna play in?
1: Or is, are we funding safety and peace and prosperity for humanity? So, so I would ask you this question. So there's two empires like 2000 years ago, and one, they one of them wants peace and one of them wants destruction. But should the peace empire build a military to ensure that there's peace? Oh man, it's a tricky one.
0: Well, I'm like, well, if you could some if you had a, unlimited resources without an army, then you could just start giving resources to the army of the other thing. It's like, well, why are you fighting and killing us for food? Like we can give you food. But so. if they have different beliefs.
1: And they and they want like their beliefs to win. And
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's been a successful civilization without a military for a long time. So except Japan, right? Didn't we take their military and they don't have one?
1: Japan and has a, like Japan has a military now. Germany's military completely we they like they had no military budget until recently.
0: Okay, so it's interesting, but it's kind of like that doesn't really count cuz there's other countries that are on their side with huge budgets, so it's like
1: yeah, um... but it, but it is like an interesting philosophical question when you're looking at companies like yeah. this where it's like okay, if I fund this type of company am i furthering the military industrial complex is this going to lead to just like an arms race in the future that doesn't end well for anyone like yeah is this something that i want to be a part of But then you're like well i do believe in our beliefs in the world about like freedom and self-actualization and i think that compared to other countries in the way that they operate i i think that we can fix things from within better than some other countries might be able to fix things from within like there might be more totalitarian regimes so i don't know i i think it's i i do believe that having a stronger military and defense system allows us to make sure that we ensure our values and that I, I believe in our values and I believe, yeah. our. I don't believe we're perfect, but I believe that we have a system that can, uh, change. And that's like, what's beautiful about, um, America. Yeah.
0: And I think it's dope. Like I'm an optimist on America too. And I think it's a lot of people are getting like negative about america it just seems like politically we're really divided like every social network is optimized with their algorithms to like make us hate each other as much as possible and like that's a really like tough thing but then when i walk outside in america it's like the economy's booming everyone's happy like we beat covid for like a lot of us like people aren't wearing masks like the park is full like restaurants are open like it's just kind of a beautiful time and like I still think this American dream of like people from all over the world coming here to start a company to meet other smart like-minded people. Like that's my experience in America. It's like you go to these other countries, like Americans are fat and dumb, da-da-da. And I'm like, some of us are, like some of us in your, some people in your country are too. But like my experience is all these incredibly smart, optimistic people from like really different backgrounds coming together with, and creating this melting pot of ideas and like technology and just progress. And like, it's not, every other country i go to it's like oh i was in greece so they're greek and there's the greek people there but like the american people are like everybody and so i just as lame as that and is i'm just like re-pitching america i still am like such an optimist on america and i think we like and the fact that we debate and hate each other is also a symptom of our passion for our own democracy and one time i was in this foreign place and they were like yeah in france like nobody gives a shit about politics nobody wants to talk this was like years ago so maybe it's changed but it was like the fact that you guys are even pissed off about it and like talk about it is already like something because it means you care about it. So I've been I don't know how we can like reshape that, but I think I don't know. I'm like super bullish on um, I'm getting sidetracked, but
1: on America. No, I mean, I I think that's this is critical to why we're investing in like entrepreneurs that are creating new supply chains. And I think that in some ways, America kind of lost our ability to build. I mean, a 16 Z put out the whole American diamond dynamism thing about like rebuilding back in America. But I think that that's the type of stuff that we want to fund is how can we bring, we push all of our manufacturing and supply chain and talent Southeast Asia and abroad, and it's like, okay, now we need to build futuristic things in the U S and create jobs and create high paying things. So it's like, how do we make our supply chain that was previously done chemically, how do we make it biologically? How do we take things that were done by hand and make it automated? How do we make more homes? How do we make our food healthier from the field to the plate, like all these things, like that's the type of stuff that we're interested in funding. And I think it goes back to building like, yeah, like, like Atlantis, like this futuristic city of utopia that we want to try to like build. Like That's what we're, we're doing. And I think. But this is something that we covered on the last podcast, which is if we can fund technological breakthroughs that fundamentally improve like the species because of the innovations that they're unlocking and they're doing so at a rapid pace, like you, people say like the mode of Tesla is not the, like one thing. It's the pace of innovation, right? That's what you always say. Um, then like that's, that that's a winning business, right? Cause it's like they're, they, they create something that's truly novel. They're constantly innovating in the world. The world needs it. Yeah,
0: and and well, the flip side to that though is this dynamic of U.S. and China having a very interconnected relationship in terms of trade, and us relying on them for some stuff, and them us relying on them like back and forth ensures peace because there's more economic upside. Like they say, like free uh, trade is the only free lunch in economics. Like it's the only way to really win is trade. And so I think in some ways it ensures peace on a global level. Like I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate. But I used to say that all the time. It's like I love that China and the U.S. are so interconnected and China is opening more up and we rely on each other because that ensures peace. I know. It's almost scary
1: that if we bring back everything like nationalistically and yeah like, it's like these- defensive like kind of like this move it's like and, and especially as we're like kind of fighting for global power over the next 21st century and there's all the conflicts kind of going on and these like shadow wars happening that now we're bringing back our supply chain it's like well now we don't need you to survive like there's almost like more of a precedent for conflict which is more reason to go back to like the cybersecurity and defense companies as we bring back manufacturing and not have such a needs on these companies, because now it's like, well, they could attack our food system or our mining system because it might not affect China because they might have more stuff in that. So yeah, there's like a lot of dynamics at play here. And then talk about soft skills of like, okay, so
0: like we, uh, like, I feel like I'm trying to think about how to say this, like, uh, like the dollar, what's the strength behind the dollar? And I, what do we export in America? What do we really make here? Like, we don't really make anything. I think culture is our biggest export. And just like we sort of assume the dollar will always be the status quo, and that's our greatest weakness when thinking about other countries and currencies, we just assume that because the dollar is a thing, it'll always be a thing. When I think that inherent belief makes the dollar the most risky asset you could possibly invest in now because the status quo believes it will always be the dollar. So, just like we have that irrational, we're on top mentality for economics, I think a layer deeper is we have that irrational on top mentality that we will always export culture and i already see that changing and i think america's like to me the fact that we're still leading like whether it's comedy whether it's movies whether it's music like um like i don't know i mean it's kind of a hot take but like they like young thug just got arrested which is like he's one of my favorite artists and now it's like damn like just that's a whole situation that i feel weird about but and sometimes I'm like, damn, we don't appreciate these artists for how much of a global movement they've created around America and how much they export culture and how much that's a value to like, like even like Kanye, somebody like that, like, or like Dua Lipa. Like, I don't know. It's just like any pop star you name. And I know there's other pop stars in the world. I have my own lens, but I think, um, I think, yeah, if we stop exporting culture, we're screwed is well, what I was getting at. But,
1: but I think like what's great about America is that there might be these cultural icons that get, like, created around the world, but they all want to go live in America. They all want to go, like, continue creating in their journey. They're going to L.A. They want to yeah. go to New York. They want to go to Austin to, like, do it or Miami or something. It, exactly. The only thing that's, like, starting to get interesting that is, like, ch- like a lot of Chinese companies are buying up, um, like, equity stakes in a lot of our movie institutions right our production companies and things like that so there so there's like a whole dynamic there but i think if you look at just like an individual level like right now america seems like the biggest exporter of culture but we can't take that for granted in the future is that is that something that we can always rely on
0: that's why i beef so much with like like our population stagnating and us not focusing on immigration. Like I know immigration's a hot topic, but it's like, I don't think it is at a high level. Like everyone in America is an immigrant, basically, unless you were like part of a Native American tribe that was here before we like settled it or whatever, right? Like we're all like, that's what America is. And that's why we're dope is because all the people from every awesome country come here and they get a, like, and I feel like we've lost focus on optimizing that system. Like we need to make sure the next Elon Musk comes here, like Elon Musk did. And now we're all hating on him, shitting on Elon Musk, despite the fact he's created so many jobs, so much green technology, so much amazing stuff. And that's the beauty of America. He grew up in South Africa and then came here because it was the land of opportunity and hustled to get here because he knew he could make it. And he knew it was capitalism. He knew it was free markets. He knew it could be incentivized to create amazing economic change. So we need to make sure the next Elon Musk is dead set on coming to America. And I'm worried right now I wouldn't be if I was an ex Elon Musk. I'd be hitting up Aiden like, damn, what's good with that city Praxis. They're going to build on some island somewhere with no laws and no taxes where like, they're not going to like get mad at me for like making a product that people love
1: Dude, that's So funny that you say that because the CEO Praxis just hit me up to chat and I am like so stoked to talk with him because I just, I I, I love what they're doing. And I was just talking to someone else, um, uh, like one of the, one of the companies that we're looking at. So are you familiar with the sea studying movement? Like, ah, I'm sure you enlightened. So the sea studying movement, basically, I don't know how long it's been around for, but basically it's this idea that, uh, we can build cities on international waters and like test cities, right? Cause it's not tied to any nation state it's international waters. So it's like leg- legally, if you build a city in the middle of the ocean, like The laws are up to you. And so there's all these different, there's all these different things that you could test out there. Like maybe you could run clinical trials. Maybe you could run a certain type of farming institution, you know, or educate, like all these different things could be tested as like, as cities on the water that are floating and operating kind of independently. So I guess it's like a breeding ground for like innovation in cities and politics, which is super interesting. Yeah,
0: dude, that is, so like, I'm thinking about my parents, like, they're both scientists and they have like getting grants and then they would always whine about like the animal rights people beefing cuz they're using like uh you know um yeah i think it's like I don't know why. I feel like there's a science name for it. It's like the Cho cells, Chinese hamster ovary or something like that. I don't want to say that wrong but because it's weird, but I think that's what it is. And they basically, like, use all these mice and these cells and these hamsters and, like, for all these experiments, to like, basically test cancer research so they don't do it on humans. And, like, there's always so much pushback on that. And I've seen Neuralink get into a lot of the same trouble of, like uh like the monkey experiments like some of the monkeys died you know but it's like we knew that was gonna happen like and then all these animal rights activists are like suing and it's like bro you're stopping like you're literally getting in a fight over a monkey who's already dead well-being and gonna impede progress on helping potentially millions if not tens of millions of humans like that's why we're doing the monkey shit is because we want to help all these humans, like my grandma who has like Parkinson's disease, maybe there's an avenue to help her if there's a neural link there. And it's like, yeah, like let's test it on some monkeys so everybody's grandma can spend more time with them. Like that's a tr- fair trade, especially if they're doing it responsibly. And so I feel like, as much as it's good that there's all these, this is just a random thing that I feel like I've experienced where the pendulum is swung way too hard to bureaucracy and towards animal rights people getting momentum off a blog post and it's impeding scientific progress and people aren't thinking about like, good versus evil like yes it sucks that we have to do this and that like animals get harmed but like if it's for research and like we're trying to advance humanity like that just is like life you know what i mean like like oh you're a vegan like well guess what you're still killing that lettuce plant to eat it i don't know like we just decided that animals have souls but plants don't like i'm beefing with that theory like no matter what happens in life like i don't know anyway i'm getting kind of sidetracked but that just to me is one use case where i'm like wow like like you said like frictionless innovation in these like cities. And then you combine that with like a crypto DAO. That's like, um, you want to fund it and we're going to p- publish our research of how we do out monkeys to make sure you're okay with it. But like, that's what we're doing. And people be like, yeah. And then they just skirt all this regulation. Bam, that's better. Like, I love that.
1: Yeah, so I, I think there's a lot of room for innovation and less bureaucracy to do like really important research, maybe on like a sea institution that might not be having to... You know, be backhanded by some of our old institutions moving super slowly. But I I also think that something that I've been thinking a lot about too, like our founding fathers for the US, like they always kind of envisioned, uh, in, in my opinion, like a more distributed system where like it was more based on like each colony kind of governing it. And then over time we became more- uh, Like the states having more autonomy. Yeah, like more, yeah, exactly. And then things became more centralized. Um, So I I have this theory that like, just like the government, like there was a bundling effect we're going to see like an unbundling potentially in like in the us just like we saw in britain like succeed from the eu and i don't think it actually is such a bad thing even though it feels like there's like a lack of unity i think eventually it'll rebundle back in a good way but like if, if a state like texas or california oregon and washington like succeeded and they kind of like i mean i don't know like i just think that there's maybe room for innovation if something like that happens Um, and there's maybe room to experiment. That's all I I can say. I just, I I see that potentially happening in the future.
0: You know what I'm realizing is I feel like this episode is really, really good. And is our best episode yet, especially the second half discussion where we also talk about like world politics and like just what you and me would normally talk about over dinner (laughs) because I think that's, (laughs) and it's very important for our philosophy. Of uh, so I love that, and I think we should keep bringing the heat on this because I yeah. think this is what is a
1: dope conversation. Yeah, and I think it, it ties everything together. Like our startup investment philosophy stems for the from the way that we view the world. Like you can't separate yeah. you can't separate the two. And I mean, for me, philosophy, sci fi thinking about politics has influenced the way that I think what's important to get funded and who's a good entrepreneur who's not what why does this need to exist in the world and like one company that we were talking about before we hopped on like which I'm skeptical of is like that like I I, I mean I'm not sure if I want to say it but like that hyper logistics company I'm just like I'm having a hard time getting the head around my head around like is this really needed and I don't know interesting so, so I keep coming back to like What does the civilization? If if you're looking at it from like an alien, like you're looking at humanity from like someone from outer space, and you're like, what does this civilization really need to become like a flourishing flourishing species? To me, it's like obviously you need like unlimited energy, you need like unbelievable food supply, you need to eradicate disease, like transportation should be streamless, streamless, you know, like education should be like unlimited and bountiful, and uh accessible. Um, so I don't know. I just think like thinking about the world from like an alien's perspective and how we can improve the entire species and then be like, okay, well, this seems like it's mission critical. Then that's when, like, I don't know. I don't know if like that makes sense, but I, I, what do you think about that? Like, is that, yeah
0: and sometimes i always think that like when i come back to why i'm excited to do hyper guap and why i think it's an important impact and why people may be like oh you're selling out being a vc firm like i even saw some tweet about people like i can't believe galley was doing tesla videos now he's offering like this lame private equity deal like un- and he's selling like these ugly sneakers like unbelievable like getting full of them so it's like okay like chill first of all it's a vc fund and like our fees are lower than the average so chill but and like i'm like bro this to me whether people believe it or not, this is where I feel like I can have a really big impact because there's this critical like hotbed of innovation that doesn't get the attention and capital it needs that I think creates huge dividends. And whether it's because maybe people don't want to think 10 years out, they are not good enough at finding these founders or understanding the visions. But I really like view Hyperloop in some ways is like, and I don't think charities should be charities. Like I think companies are basically charities or just entities that are doing things for the world they just need to have good morals like i think hypergrowth really provides like this function of like a we're lucky because we are just genuinely fascinated by the most innovative disruptive people in the american economy that's just like a cool ass people to meet all day is like people Who live in America with these radical dreams doing crazy shit to change the world? Like, that's just so fun. But, like, these are the people who need a push. Like, I don't like, I see Biden still beefing with Tesla and SpaceX despite so many jobs, so much technology. It's like our government is just not thinking straight to fund these people who need the who just to make the moves that we need to build a better country. And I literally feel like we're doing that with some of the investments we've made in terms of like material supply chain that's going to get it out of China and Russia and make it green and sustainable. Like, and we can't talk about all these investments yet, but I'm like, when I know what we're funding and I see how the future unfolds and how these companies that we're funding are going to build a more resilient future for America, a safer future, a more better supply chain. Like, I'm like, wow, like this to me is like, we're at this, we're at the wet, we've like, out of the American economy, like we focus on this wedge that I think people think is sexy and dope just in the VC way, but they have overlooked that this is truly the the fulcrum point and the limiting factor for like impact because, that entrepreneur in that extra mill. And then that other dope VC fund FOMO's into it because Hypergwap put their name on the line. Now all of a sudden this tech gets funded. Now all of a sudden they're doing it. Now all of a sudden they can hire the smart person. So that smart person can work on that idea that needed attention and it just snowballs. And so, yeah, I, I like, I'm stoked about it. And I think we well, really we... think about like what you said, sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but to tie it at end, like we think so much about like what this company looks like in 10 years and what the industry is like in 10 years. And if we want to be a part of that future and how that fits into like our worldview. And I love that. Like
1: we do that, you know, that's exactly right. And I think the most like meaningful thing for us too, is backing a company like the company that you said that we can't really talk about too much yet when you know that our capital at that stage matters the most, like this, this is, like not everyone's gonna be glamping over it. And although it's like, there might not be that kind of competitiveness of all the VCs jumping over it yet. Cause they, they might just not understand it, you know, but eventually they'll get it. And like, that's like super powerful. Is there any like closing thoughts that you have for this episode or like going forward? Well, I know we want to
0: title it the last call. So I do think that's like to mention, like I'm stoked. Cause I feel like we're done with the fundraising process and it's just like getting over the finish line you want to join and be along for the ride this is your shot and um moving into the talk about companies we're deploying into phase and i'm also stoked that we're finding our groove on the podcast and but yeah that's kind of it i also really want people to give us feedback
1: on what sections they like and stuff totally feedback on the podcast to be helpful we'll send around a closing email to all the hypergloat members just that like letting everyone know that we're closing and to check out this podcast and to let us know if you have any like final questions and uh yeah I'm happy to jump on the phone with anyone and talk anything through. Um so just yeah, just reach out for a conversation and yeah, we're we're super excited to talk more about companies and I think also just sharing our philosophy about the world because that influences like what we're looking for in the market. Definitely. And yeah. Awesome, Aiden. We'll
0: see y'all next week. Can't wait. Sweet. Cheers. Peace.